Hey, Greg Shot Podcast fans. It's your host, Alex Gruskin. Just a quick note before we started. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties with this podcast. We were so happy to bring on our newest member of the Cracked Rackets team, former Notre Dame All-American and NCAA singles and doubles semifinalist Quentin Monahan, to help me and Chris talk about the end of the college tennis season, what these teams are looking like, what we should expect going into conference tournaments and the NCAAs. Unfortunately, Quinton being a newbie, being a rookie, uh, he had some rookie technical difficulties. His audio, not the highest of quality, and while we didn't want to cut him out completely, we were forced to edit out some of the questions, some of his responses, because we just didn't want your ears to have to suffer through that. But we still thought there was enough good podcast, good commentary in there that we wanted to release this episode. So with that being said, enjoy our episode. Me, Chris Halioris, Quinn Monahan talking about the end of the college tennis season. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin. I can't even keep track of all of the podcasts we've got going on at Cracked Rackets now. Between this one, the Mini Break Podcast, which is our daily podcast talking all things tennis, cracked interviews. We had a great guest, Jared Hiltzik. I believe that episode was released uh, today, so go check that out. What the Deuce Podcast, Kennedy Schaefer, David Roditi, they have a ton of fun over there. Uh, but, you know, there's just so much, I guess that speaks to how much tennis there is going on right now. So we are so happy to be back with you for today's episode. Uh, given that the clay swing has just begun, that's obviously taken up the attention of much of the tennis world. But just as important to us here at the Great Shot Podcast, the college tennis season is, it's almost done. Uh, we have a lot of conferences that have already wrapped up their regular season play. A lot of conference tournaments gearing up to start this week. Uh, there are still a few matches to filter out. I believe in the Big Ten, but everyone else seems to be done. So what we're going to be doing today, we're going to be talking college tennis, and you know when I do that, I have to bring on one special guest. You know, I give a lot of credit to Bobby Knight and all the work he does at College Tennis Today, and he deserves it, but with all due respect, Bobby, a little bit off his game this week. So I really dove in to the collegetennisranks.com, and obviously Chris Hallior, so I'll introduce you in a second, but I got the chance to look at all of the features this week, the week ahead, the week behind, projecting forward for the rankings, and as Chris mentioned on Twitter, his rankings 100% accurate on both the men's and women's side so it speaks to how great his work is he being the founder of college tennis ranks my mother's favorite guest and I believe the word he used to describe himself today are noted <laughs> he'll like this one are our, our noted our geriatric guest Chris Halioris hey great shot and welcome back to the podcast Thanks, Alex. Got my Geritol on board. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to flatter you to keep bringing you back on, but I don't want our listeners to think that's all I was doing when I brought up your website. Seriously, a hundred percent on both sides. Has that ever happened before? No, that that is that's the first time in the three years I've been doing it because it's so hard to get every single one of them right that I pulled them down and I was I was in disbelief. I had to go actually. You know, I do that all programmatically, but I had to manually look and make sure that it was right. I was like, what? The top 50 matched, you know, ranking and point decimal to the three-digit spot, you know, all 50 on both sides. That was the first time that's happened. Would you say they adjusted their algorithm to you or yeah. vice versa? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I thought maybe they're just messing with me. They just 
mine out <laughs> just to make me think I got it right. And then next week they'll really mess with me. No, yeah, no, you know it's all it's 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 a known formula, but it's still you just never know what matches got included and all all kinds of stuff. It's it's tough to get exactly right. This is how they make it up to you for kicking you out of the national indoors. They're like, all right, yeah. we'll give him the final winks rankings. <laughs> He'll be fine <laughs> yeah. with that. Uh, but Chris, you know, I I promise I will get back to you. I do want to introduce our other guest today. He is the newest member of the Cracked Rackets team. Westoff, give me some sort of congratulations sound effect there. He is a former Notre Dame All-American, I believe both singles and doubles, individual semifinalist. And finally, someone who is actually good at tennis, Quinton Monahan. Hey, great shot, and welcome to the show. And we are so thrilled to have you. Let's get to uh, our big conversation, the reason we're all here. As I mentioned, the college tennis season is, is pre- or the regular season, I should say, pretty much wrapped up. So what we're going to be doing today, looking at each of the conferences, previewing ahead to their conference tournaments, talking about the teams that are on the bubble, meaning on the cusp of uh, getting direct entry into the NCAA tournament, which teams need that extra few wins in this tournament to solidify their spot, which teams, if they win the conference tournament, make the finals, will put themselves in a position for a top eight seed, uh, which as we know is so much more crucial given the super regional event they're debuting this year. And then of course, we'll end with some fun random topics and our top five rankings. That sound good to both of you? Sounds great. Awesome. Well, then let's start with a conference near and dear to Quentin's heart, the ACC. Obviously, a conference uh, all college tennis fans have been accustomed to following. I believe the last four national champions have come from there. Wake Forest uh, winning last year, Virginia the three years before that. You look at the standings going into uh, the conference tournament. Wake Forest ends up uh, winning the conference, going undefeated 10-0. and Virginia knocks off North Carolina this past weekend. I believe it was 4-2, although we should mention. North Carolina played that match without Will Blumberg in singles, and that's kind of where I want to start. Uh, you know, Chris, I think we knew Wake Forest, Virginia, UNC were going to be the top three seeds in this conference, but do you think heading into the conference tournament, all of them still have a shot at a top eight seed? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Wake Forest is a lock for a top eight seed. Virginia is virtually uh, a lock for a top eight seed. And North Carolina can easily get there. I mean, they, had they had they beaten uh, Virginia last week when they had played, they would had been they would have moved into a top eight position. So it's I don't know if they would have to win every the whole tournament or if you know if just getting to the finals is good enough for them. But e- very easily they they can still make a top eight. So yeah, it's very very possible at three and the, and two of them are virtually locks at this point. Yeah, and, you know, Quentin, looking to you, obviously, you are an ACC player. You get uh, the strength of this conference. It's as strong as any in the nation. When you look at these top three teams this season, uh, do you still think all three of these teams national title contenders at this point? Yeah, I, I think, you know, honestly, I think this year more than most, at least the last couple of years, I think there's more parity up top. I felt like it's, like, interesting, that question. I mean, between it sometimes feels like a legitimate contender um, for a national championship is the last couple of years has been one or two teams, whether it was Virginia a few years ago or Wake Forest last year, just down the line, they were just a little bit tougher than everyone. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think Wake's, uh, you know, I know they lost to Florida earlier this year. It, it looks like they kind of cleaned up in, in the regular season, but I think, um, you know, like you mentioned, if Carolina gets Blumberg back and, um, 
you know, I mean, that's a team that competes unbelievably well. And, and then um, I think Virginia, it's kind of great to see them getting back to where they were a couple of years ago. And obviously a program with, with rich tradition that knows how to win big matches. So, um, you know, I think all three are, are legitimate contenders, like you said. Having played number one singles, that's a battle every time. And for North Carolina uh, to be missing out on a player like Blumberg, how does that affect the rest of the team, Quinn, in terms of their mindset? And I know this is a bit projection because you, you can't, you know, you don't want to speak for any of these guys. But just as uh, someone who's played at that level, you know, what is it like when your top guy drops out of the lineup for a minute? Yeah, I mean, it's um, look. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at their lineup now. I mean, with Ben up top, uh, they're still pretty deep. Um, and but I, you know, I think. Um, look, I mean, Blumberg's an NCAA finalist. I think I watched him a couple years ago in the, the team final against Virginia. I think the match he played against Ty was one of the highest level college matches I've ever watched from one guy. Um, and so I think, you know, certainly that lineup is a hell of a lot better with him in it. Um, and that's not a knock on the guys behind him. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly, you know, on the bright side, I think they've probably – you could look at the positive where they've sort of been battling the last couple of weeks without their number one guy, maybe getting, putting uh, some of the lower guys in tough spots and getting them good experience. And, you know, once you get Blum back um, for the NCAA tournament, um, you know, hopefully you can rely on some of those lower guys, um, you know, to, to be playing a little bit better and to have gone through some, some tough um, circumstances the last couple of weeks. I, I... So so let's let's really put him on the spot. <laughs> I mean, let, let's ask the same exact question, but what the heck oh. are the Irish going to do without Lebedev? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, I, I mean, the injuries they've dealt with the last month or so, it's unlike anything I've ever seen in college tennis. Like, so CMR is back, but Lebedev still hasn't played. I don't know, and I'm not going to put yeah. you on the spot, and I haven't, I haven't asked Sad right. uh, and wouldn't say even if he told me but i don't know if i i don't know if lebedev's back for the for the tournament yeah. or not i know he had hoped he was going to be mm-hmm. you know a couple months ago but uh but yeah that's i mean that's a killer they were lo- they, they lost a couple guys i mean they went with from matthew gamble playing five six to matthew gamble playing two right you know uh, no i mean they uh, yeah they had their th- their three out of their top four out for uh, it's been almost like a month now i mean cmr played last weekend which is great to see but even McCormick at four and Lebedev at one, um, so you're one, two, and four. I mean, it was just it's, you're not going to be able to win matches in the ACC consistently with with half your lineup out. Um, and again, they, they have a bunch of studs up and down the lineup, and 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 guys that don't play regularly. But it's just you know, like you guys know, it's it's so deep out there. And I, I think almost any, more than anything, like from a mental standpoint, you know, these teams were like, man, we really got to take advantage of this. So. You know, I think to answer your question, I mean, Lev is—he's done an incredible job. He was—he uh, actually redshirted the year, my senior year, but um, you know, he's an extremely hard worker. You know, couldn't be more dedicated to the sport. And I mean, as you know, clearly he's established himself as as a legitimate top twenty player. So you take that guy out of your lineup, and um, you know, it doesn't help. Uh, but I think. You know, I, I, it looked like early in the year they, they have a lot of depth. I mean, you mentioned Gamble going from five to two. It's like he is a guy where I think he could play anywhere from three to six, and they have a couple guys like that. So, you know, look, they have Wake second round of the tournament, which uh, could be just, you know, a little bit too much talent. But I'm just hoping that 
you know, they'll get through the Hokies and, and can, make, uh, can, can win a match in several ways. And this doesn't really relate to our big topic, but since we're on the topic of Notre Dame, and Chris, I appreciate you just getting us there right away. You know, you mentioned McCormick. He is one big motherfucker. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I'm talking about the right guy. Yeah, he's, he's you know, boy. just deep voice, all of the above. Yeah. It's crazy. And just it seems like, you know, Lebedev, big boy, uh, all of these guys. What What is Coach Satry feeding you? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's funny you mentioned I, I grew in college, but uh, I, I mean, Satry's a big dude himself i remember my mom's concern was like How, what's this guy gonna teach you you're like a 510 scrawny kid he's like it's fine but um no i mean look i don't I, it's like when i watch the pro game these days i feel like the ideal height and size is like as long as you can move it's it's like why not be six three six four i think it just gives you you know some you know some extra juice on the serve and, and the ground strokes and again i think Give me as much height until the until it hinders movement. And I think, you know, Lebedev is, you know, he's done a great job working on his movement, and Cormac's a great athlete. So I think for Sash, it's it's almost like those are two guys that you think could have decent careers, just you know, having huge serves and and you know, and just and kind of that raw power that someone uh, you know my size or a little bit smaller might not have. Yeah, it's it's so fun. I mean, so as a Michigan guy, I watched your team twice last year, and then I got to see you guys at indoors, and it's fun to watch. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting brand of tennis, certainly. But, uh, you know, I meant to say we were going to put uh, time limitations on all of these conversations. We're not for the ACC because I forgot to say it earlier. So, Chris, uh, to finish off this conversation, we mentioned Notre Dame, and they played a couple matches this week to get over that 500 mark. They're now sitting at 16 and 13. But you look at the rest of the conference, NC State, lock. Florida State, lock. Virginia Tech, Miami, locks. I would say Notre Dame, probably a lock for an at-large bid, but anyone else in that conference you could see sneaking into the tournament? Well, no, Notre Dame's a lock. Virginia Tech is not. Virginia Tech's out right now. Really? So they, <clears throat> they're going to have to win. Uh, if they want to get in, they're going to have to beat Notre Dame. Uh, there's, and, there's no way around it. So you think that match, you think Notre Dame can afford to lose that and still get in, but for Virginia Tech, they need it? Yeah, Notre Dame can lose. Notre Dame can lose that and still get it, no problem. But yeah, Virginia Tech absolutely has to win that match. All right. Well, then projecting for that conference tournament, as you mentioned, it, it's going to be a fun one because that draw looks interesting. Uh, Quinn, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Chris. Who is the team that is the dark horse to win, uh, or the dark horse to you know maybe make a semifinal final uh, run from this? And then who do you have as the conference tournament winner? Um. I like Carolina over Virginia getting to the finals. I'd say, I mean, that's not going off on too much of a limb, but I think with Blumberg back, um, actually, it's funny, a, a local New Jersey kid where I'm from lost a heartbreaker, 7-6 in the third, Matt Kiger, um, who was at Master Virginia. So um, for his sake, and I'm, I'm hoping maybe they can get a little revenge. Um, so I'll, I'll take them in the final and then, I don't know, man. I, it's just the, the last few years, it's the, the breasty recruiting machine. I, I, don't, I, I, I look at that weight lineup, and it's just, I don't know, man. It's, they're going to be tough to beat, so I, I still have weight one that one. Chris, what say you? Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to take take Wake. I mean, I mean, 
Tony started the Tony stack a couple weeks ago and Estapio's <laughs> worked his way down to six. Uh, <laughs> worked so, his way down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't think, yeah, uh, I, I don't buy that for a minute, but but uh, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think every time I try to pick against them just because I want someone else to win, uh, you know, and I always want to pick Carolina just because I want to see somebody else win, I, I'm wrong. So I'm just going to stick with Wake and say Wake wins. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the match that I would really like to see, though, is uh, which, I, which ought to happen is uh, Georgia Tech ought to beat Louisville, and then we can get a Georgia Tech-Carolina rematch <laughs> after that horrific upset that uh, – Georgia Tech laid on Carolina earlier this year, uh, and, and that that will be uh, that would be interesting. But yeah, I, and I'm with Quentin. I think I think Carolina this time gets by Virginia. Uh, I mean, Kiger had that match won, should should have won it, uh, and and I think they'll I think they probably get it done, uh, and we see Wake and Carolina in the final. Uh I mean, I have to pick Virginia, right, just to disagree with you guys. I can't not back my who's when their backs are against the walls. But here's the thing. Wearsholm shaved his head, so that's a plus. The man bun is gone. Like, obviously, you factor that in. Uh, they got goats healthy now, and I'm sorry if I butchered that last name. I think he—the fact that they have done the Gianni slide and Gianni Ross now finds himself at the number five singles position. I, I mean— you talk about that. You talk about Martin Joyce playing three. I mean, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, all these teams are rounding into postseason form, Chris. You're right. I will take Virginia over Duke. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I just got to give Stokoyak some love. Give me Vir- mm. How are you going to pick against a healthy Blumberg? You saw what they did at Indoor. This is a tough choice. I'll take Virginia just to be different. They play Wake Forest in the final. Wake Forest four two Petros clinches. Yeah. All right. All right. Totally down. Well, then let's move on to our next conference. And with all due respect to the Atlantic Sun, Atlantic Ten, American East, you know we're we're only be talking about the big six conferences here, uh, or maybe it's the Big Five. I'm I'm not even sure. We'll see as we go along. Uh, but the other thing, as I mentioned, we're going to do for this one. I'm going to put eight minutes on the clock. We are going to be talking about the six teams in the Big Twelve because they had a fascinating uh, weekend this past one. You know, Baylor goes down. Texas, all this stuff. So, Westoff, if you could start the clock, please. So, as I mentioned, let's start there, Chris. Texas Tech knocking off Baylor last weekend. Does that knock Baylor out of top eight seed position? No, they're still in a top eight seed position, and they're really going to have to lose. Uh, I mean, in all likelihood, they've got to lose a match uh, to to knock themselves out. There, there's still a decent gap there, but there are a couple teams that could surprise and jump up. It did bump them down right to eight, so they're they're right on the cusp, but so far, at least for now, uh, they're good. But between, uh, you know, between TCU, A&M, USC, and North Carolina, they could get pushed out. So they, <clears throat> their first match, assuming that TCU gets to them, is a big one. A win over TCU, and they're they're in and they're a lock. If they lose to TCU, now they got to sit back and watch what everybody else does uh, in terms of the that undoubtedly puts TCU past them and makes them eight at best, uh, barring a disastrous loss for any of the teams in front of them. And and then anybody that gets on a run, being A&M, 
USC or North Carolina goes around them and, and they're out. And you look up, you look at this Baylor team. They've been playing around with their lineup all year. They finally now know for certain Roy Smith will not be back. And it's funny because we speculated about that on the last podcast, Chris, and it turns out we were right. He wasn't coming back. Uh, to you, Quinton, in terms of lineup continuity, playing around with it all year, not knowing who you're going to be playing, you know, where you're going to be playing in the singles lineup, where you're going to be playing in the doubles lineup, who you're going to be playing with, does that mess with your head as a teammate, uh, just as a team member? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I think when I was playing at one, my junior, senior year, it, it wasn't something that I factored in too much. Um, but I think, you know, you guys have watched tons of matches. I think there's certainly a big difference at times between, you know, playing four or six. It's almost like different kind of tennis it's more grinding and it's uh so i, I you know i i think i would i would imagine that um you know it's it can be tough on those guys i you know i, I think look it, it just comes down to being a great teammate and, and i think uh you know also having good coaching i think they had great coaching obviously with Boland. um and i think those guys look all you can do is just kind of compete as hard as you can on that day um and give it your all and and I mean, just looking at the resume of some of those players, I mean, bunch of great, bunch of great ITF players that have played big matches in Grand Slam. So I think, you know, they, it, to me, it looks like they could probably play anywhere in the long run. And it's funny with this Baylor team against Texas Tech, they actually lost the doubles point. In particular, the number one ranked team, uh, Sven La and Will, Will Little, right? That That's their number one team. Uh, or, oh, sorry, Jimmy Bendix. See, I, I can't even keep their lineup straight. Uh, they lose a match to, I believe, the number 17, uh, uh, the seven team for Texas Tech, Thompson and someone. Um, and, and Parker Wynn, thank you. That's what, like I said, you guys do the heavy lifting. Um, and, and that was a shock to them. But for this Baylor team, given how much senior experience they have in the lineup, given that a lot of the time they will, if not every time, be the favorites going into the doubles point, you know, Quinn, do you still see them as a contender? Huge contender. I mean, I, doubles point is so big. I, 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 I love listening to Todd Tucker, but I think he said the best. Like that's, you know, that's a critical point in the college matches because, um, you know, one through six, I think with these top teams, there, there's a lot of parity and there's going to be a lot of battles. So I think just going into the singles at that point, um, it's huge. And I think with, with Baylor, I know, you know, like you mentioned, they've been on doubles in the country up top and a lot of experience and a lot of guys that have played tons of doubles matches. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I think they're, they're certainly contenders, again, with that coaching staff as well. Um, what if, I, I, not to get off on a tangent, you, you guys mentioned you were speculating about Roy Smith leaving. Was there anything that kind of gave you that indication? Or I, I guess for me, I was a little bit surprised. It almost feels like Baylor has everything a guy might ask for if he's going pro, but um, wasn't sure what you guys saw there. No, it was, it was really just the fact that he hadn't, you know, he hadn't played a, a dual match since before indoors, but, but then had gone out and played three pro tournaments. Exactly. And that, and it was all under the guise of while he was injured, right? That's why he wasn't playing dual matches, at least at the beginning. It's like, well, he was training for the pros, and it's not, that's all credit to him. Do what you got to do, Roy Smith. You know, if you're ready, go. Uh, but yeah, I, I would agree with Chris. That's really where we were leaning. And I, I do want to, you know, as fascinating as Baylor is, we've got three minutes left. So just in terms of uh, the big picture, Chris, 
is the Big 12 going to go six for six in terms of getting teams into the tournament? And could all of Texas, Baylor, and TCU be top eight seeds? So, yes, they will go six for six. Uh, they'll, they'll all get in. Uh, can, can Texas, Baylor, and TCU all get in? They can, but the, the thing they got working against them is in all likelihood. I mean, TCU needs to beat Oklahoma State, and they should. They just did last week. Uh, those two got to play each other, and, and someone has to lose. And for Baylor, it's their first match. So if Baylor loses, they don't even get a win in the tournament, and it, it really hinders their chances. Uh, TCU at least gets to get a win over Oklahoma State. Not going to help them a ton, but th- that's the downside is whoever loses that match, it, it's it's going to be a little tough for them to get in, but they'll be right up. They will absolutely be right on that eight, eight bubble uh, for the loser of that match, and the winner, the winner will be in. Yeah, uh, and so then, you know, we'll give our top five rankings at the end of the year, but rank those teams for me, Quentin. Texas, Baylor, TCU. Uh, I think, I mean, Texas has been tough all year. I think, I think I'll give them the number one spot, and then um, I'll go Baylor, TCU. I think Baylor's had a little more depth, and TCU is good as Rivo is at top, and they have two sides up there, but... See, I feel like if Texas doesn't get that win over Ohio State, uh, a J.J. Wolfless Ohio State, but still, their season could have gone so differently. But for them to lose their head coach, rebound right away, and get that win at home, you know, I know they got tested this weekend. I believe they went 4-3 with Oklahoma State. Uh, so obviously, it's a... It's a fat, it's an interesting team. They've got so many, so many seniors, so many different options at the number six singles position. But at the same time, am I crazy to think that they're somewhat susceptible to an early upset, like round of 16 in terms of NCAAs, Chris? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> Quinn? I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's hard to see them losing to, so what would that be, a 17 through 32? Uh, I have trouble. If you're saying round, you're saying the round is 16, meaning yes. if, if, you're saying if they're one or two, oh, play in the 15, okay, sorry. 15, 16. Yeah, I just, okay. I just, I don't yeah. know. I just, I could see them losing a doubles point, and then from there, things get interesting. I, I, I guess this comes down to, I'm just not sold at Siskard at one. Like, he's sweet, but compared to the Blumbergs, the... Uh, Holtz, the just all of these guys who play the Wolves. All I can't believe I didn't mention him. Just I don't know. No, I I, I don't disagree with that. But to say it, a round of sixteen match, given their ranking, if it, if their round of sixteen match was like a you know a seven ten or an eight nine, and they were playing one of those other teams, I think that's got the firepower to play with them, maybe. But right now, you look at. It's Columbia, Tennessee, Illinois, Georgia. Those teams aren't beating Texas. <laughs> That's fair. Well, you know, the bell just rang, but I want to talk conference tournament real quick predictions. Well, just since it's a six-team tournament, no dark horses. Quinton, then Chris, give me your predictions for the champs. Um, I like Texas. <laughs> I can't just question Texas and then pick them. I love TCU, and I know Rodidi's come on the pod. They came on and did some stuff for us on Instagram, so that may sound biased, but just Reese Stalder hasn't been able to buy a win in, it seems like, a month and a half, and it's just like, well, he's a senior. It's his last conference tournament. If there's ever going to be a time to shift, it's now. If they can start getting wins out of him, you know, even if they don't win the doubles point, there's just so much to like in that singles lineup. We never saw Juan Martin, and it didn't even matter. 
I like TCU. I really think they're gonna. I just. I. I would love to see them get a top eight seed. Uh. So I'm gonna go ahead and pick them. But all right. Let's move on to our next conference, and if you guys have any criticisms of my Texas Tech, we can get, again, into it more when we talk about the top five teams. Let's move to our next big conference, a fellow big, and even though it has more teams, it's called a lesser number, the Big Ten Conference, my home conference. Westoff, if you could, please start the clock. So, Chris, this is the one conference that still has a couple of regular season matches uh, left. I believe the headlines, Michigan plays at Iowa. I think Illinois is going to Minnesota. Other than that, kind of on the margins. You know, is this a conference that you could see, I think, six teams getting in? Iowa, Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State? Penn, I say, you know, Penn, Penn State looks good. Obviously, Ohio State is is in Michigan's in Illinois in. Uh, you could have pulled a prank on me there and been like Michigan. Eh? Yeah, no, no, I would have no, believed you. A, yeah, that's that's that'd be a tough prank to pull. Um, so that that was who am I missing there? Minnesota, uh, Iowa. I, Iowa's in. They're in a world of hurt. I don't know what the because the because they haven't finished the regular season yet. I, we I don't know where they're going to seed wise. So what that bracket looks like, but they're 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 well out right now in need of a big win. They're like 50-51, and the cut line's going to be somewhere around forty-two ish. Uh, so so they're they're definitely on the on the outside looking in. Uh, and Minnesota will get in. Uh, yeah. So so Iowa really is probably the they're the question mark, and they're going to have to come up with either this week in the in the closing uh, closing week or in the tournament they're going to have to come up with a good win. Quinn, is it fair to say that Big Ten teams, given their nor- a lot of their northern locations, they play indoors through at least you know midway through March, and if they're lucky, they can get outdoors for April. Is that transition, the fact that NCAs is predominantly played outdoors, is that you know does that impact these northern teams negatively? Is that a real thing? Um, yeah, I think I think you see it more. Um, again, it's obviously a different format this year with. What is it? It's called a super regional. I think so. Um, where I mean, so you know, I guess that's taking the topic, but you know, I always felt like the Sweet Sixteen. You know, it, it seemed like Ohio State. I mean, obviously, it's like they're national indoors. They're just you know, just the dominant number one team in the country, looking possible to beat. And then they go out there, and it's like you know, they've done a great job of making Final Fours, and obviously a final last year, but they always seem vulnerable, um, even in like a Sweet 16 against, or last year, like against a team like Mississippi State. I think, you, I, you know, I sort of think the same thing with Illinois. Um, you know, I think the one thing those two teams in particular have going for them is they just compete unbelievably well. Um, and I think that's a, sort of a neutralizer on any surface, in, in, indoor or outdoor. Um, but, it, you know, it would be hard to argue that they, you know, they're as prepared as, and yet still, Chris, you look at their record, 24-2. and two, They lost at Texas A&M and at Texas, but played both those matches without J.J. Wolf. 
you know, they they really weren't tested uh, until they played Illinois during the Big Ten season. And in fact, this is where we are going to get to our first tangent because this past weekend, uh, one of the marquee results, I managed to fit it in on half of my computer screen during the Masters, during the NBA playoffs. And shout out to PlaySight because they have significantly improved uh, their uh, live streaming capabilities since the beginning of the season. They seem to have it all squared up for NCAAs. But obviously, it took tennis Twitter by hold. John McNally versus Alex Brown, third set tiebreaker. There's a slow return. I think it's 4-1, maybe 4-2. McNally's up. Uh, he hits a big serve out wide on the deuce side. Brown kind of sticks his racket out for it. It's a high floating ball, lands so slowly, and McNally calls it out. Now, before we get into weather, I just want to say I was watching it live, and given how slow the ball landed— I just felt like there was no way the line judge could have possibly missed that call. Uh, But, you know, it's just, I don't know how you miss it. It landed so slowly. You can see it pretty clearly. And yet, you know, after the match, Brad Dancer went in on the line judges. You could see the play slight stream stayed on a little bit longer. And it was just him yelling away at the head official. You know, you guys have both seen the call. Quinton, in or out? Uh uh, looked into me, uh, pretty, pretty obviously. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I think you're right in, in bringing up the, the ref. I mean, it's, I've always found it's, it's really tough to get into debates in college tennis about, you know, what's the right thing to do in that situation. Look, obviously you wish that wasn't a part of the game, but in reality it just is. Um, and I find it, look, you know, I think that's, you almost kind of wish John would issue an apology or, or something, but um, you know, there, it just goes both ways. It, it really does. I've seen egregious. I mean, it's like you know, I, I love a lot of the guys that have played at Illinois, but I've seen terrible calls that they've made. So I think it's tough to get into a debate about um, right or wrong, or, or, or you know, obviously it was the wrong call. But I mean, to me, it's like like you said. I mean, what what is the point of having an umpire if they can't make that call? I mean, I think for me, it's like this, the game's got to get to a place, at least in big matches, where there's a line judge on the far sideline, um, just because I think just, they just missed too many on that far sideline. But, I mean, I call it that. It's the, the ball is floating in the air. It's on the, it's like kind of on the near sideline, um, 10 miles an hour. And it, it looks like it lands almost a foot inside the line. It's like, you know, you might as well just not even have an umpire there. So, you know, for me, that was just shocking. Yeah, and I'll say, having watched uh, you know the entirety of the match, you're absolutely right. Both players were questioning the line calls. It was very clear, you know, the number one singles flight, the number two singles flight. If Ohio State could get both of those, they were going to win the match. And both of those matches go seven six seven six. Uh, so it speaks to the high intensity of the moment. But yeah, it, it just is like, why not have the chair umpires on the other matches when they're done? Have them go line. I, I know they're they're not meant to go be line judges, but use them. You have them. You can avoid these situations. I completely agree with you, Quentin. Uh, Chris, what were your takes? Yeah, well, so so two there. Obviously, the ball was in, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, there's no question there. Uh, but But two is, that ball was on the chair umpire's side. So even if you were to ask for a line judge, you're going to get a line judge on the far line. And there wouldn't have even been a line judge on that line. So it's still going to be up to the chair. So at that point, that the chair either, and, you know, I, I honestly, I wasn't interested enough to watch it 50 times and try to determine whether the chair umpire was actually watching the ball because I've seen, you know, I've seen enough matches where, 
you watch and the chair is not even really watching the ball. Uh, so there's no way they can legitimately overrule. And, you know, I think, and, and Q could probably attest having played, I, my feeling is that 50% of the overrules or not are, are simply coming from, you know, it's, it's not, I definitely saw the ball in or out. It's the, it's the, ad, how's the player been up to that point? How's the match been? How did you quest? it was it a big point did you make a late call and it looked and it you know seemed like the hook all having nothing to do with whether the ball was in or not and you know and so some of those chairs aren't even you know they're not watching closely enough and absolutely you know just like professional sports have reviews of their umpires that it's, there's got to be some way that you look at some of these chairs because we've got some some chairs out there that right you you definitely have to question whether they can actually see the ball at a baseline from the chair um, and in that case, you know, that was a, a clear miss from the chair's part where he should have just been, that should have been an instant overrule. Yeah, and we're going to go over on time on this one, but I think it's an important topic. Quinton, Chris kind of alluded to this. It's just, you know, you, I'm sure you've played matches where you're playing someone who is not providing the best of calls. And in that moment, as a player, do you want the line judge to take over? Because I feel like from the line ju- or the chair umpire's perspective, they don't want to take over matches. They don't want to be the one deciding which team wins and which team loses. But, you know, do you get fru- – I mean, of course you get frustrated when someone's hooking you, but do you want the umpires to be active participants in the match? I, I mean, look, obviously, you know, in an ideal world, you know, of course not. I mean, I, I think they're just sort of there to, I mean, sort of call a score and, and make sure nothing uh, – Agree, just happens. But, you know, I think unfortunately, like it's, I mean, I've seen I think a handful of videos now since I, you know, graduated. Whether it was Wake Forest, UNC, obviously now Illinois or, or Ohio State, like that's just a part of the game. Um, I think the the one dangerous thing about like with the refs is, you know, I feel like when they get too involved and when they start making um, a ton of overrules, it just almost seems like it's like it just it's like that's sort of like the standard for the match and then it's like almost any questionable call you know is going to get overruled and then i've also seen it kind of in the reverse where like they won't make any calls and then it's like you know four all in the third the biggest point of the match you get hooked and it's then and they're not really doing anything so i mean i don't know i certainly wouldn't want to be a referee they have an incredibly tough job but it it really does work i've seen it work both ways where they're overly involved and like they'll react to any coach kind of pressuring them or any player questioning them um and, and you obviously will get that a ton and, and you know they're just kind of and if, you know maybe they didn't like the way you called it out or thought there was some hesitation it's just they're, they're overruling everything and then again like i said there's i've also seen the reverse where like you know maybe they give these players too much of that and doubt and it's like when you really need them to make a call, they're, you know, they're, they're either, like, not paying attention or kind of hoping that the guy's, like, you know, a nice guy and making the right call. For John McNally to have the huevos to make that call in that Illinois environment on that big of a with point. The, with the crowd <laughs> and, and the Illinois, like, I don't know if you've been there, but the crowd is literally on top of the court. I mean, it's, it's one of the only places where, like, they literally sit, like, right there, which is, I, I, I thought the same thing. Yeah, man. And like twenty five percent sober. Yeah, but like this is this is what I'm saying is, given the ballsiness of the moment, are we sure it was a hook? Like, are we sure just it's not a terrible camera angle? 
Yeah, no, it's a hook. <laughs> what? By the way, what on? What was the? What was the score on that? Uh, well, it was four-two at that point, uh, and I four-two McNally. Yeah. McNally. yeah. So that was to go. Five. Yes. Gotta do it there. Gotta do yeah. it. Big serve out wide. But but. But see, this, this is this is where I say Gruskin, and this is what I've told you know I've told Trevor, and I've told these some of these other kids uh, that I've or, or I've tried to tell them if you can control your emotions and actually be good the entire if every call, call Alex Brown had ever made during that match was clean and every question he ever made to the chair was just how'd you see that sir. Okay, and and when the guy said it was out, he went okay and turned around and walked back and was completely respectful, and then and didn't get you know and it wasn't a chippy kind of match. And then that happens, and he says, "How'd you see that, sir?" Ninety nine percent, the guy says, "No, ball was good." But when you when when you're getting irate during the match and you're you know you're acting up and making those kinds of calls yourself, then then you're fair game. I don't want to come off as a McNally defender. I mean, obviously, I'm fond of John. He's come on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Whenever we see them in person, he's always one to come over and say hello. But I've shared my I got hooked by John McNally at the Midwest yeah. Close story before. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally believe it's plausible. But like Quinn said, and then I swear we can move on from this topic, he had a forehand. John McNally wants to go after forehands, and he had the forehand given to him off that return. I just don't know how you call that ball out in that environment with that forehand in that moment unless you're 100% sure it's out. That's why I'm just saying, like, I saw some comments, and I know I'm too in- deeply involved with tennis, where they're like, this guy would hook a crippled person. This guy must be a horrible human. It's like, all right, like, don't be a huge asshole. Like, these calls happen. You don't need to be a huge to John McNally about it. But it's just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just well, – it, it was a well, fascinating know, if, moment. If you want to play the, the side that's going to gonna defend John, right, and, and this happens. It's not John. It's, it's, I'm a it's Michigan all, fan. Yeah, I'm as, unbiased. As Q says, it happens everywhere, though. But it, it, sometimes, right, the guy's just flat out hooking you. And other times, you know, and which could have been the case, he legitimately sees a high floater, and it looks to him the entire way coming like it's sailing deep. And he just basically calls it deep as the ball lands and doesn't eat now. What you hope at that point is you, he looks down and goes, oh, crap, that wasn't deep. Sorry, it was good and gives the point up. But not many people are going to do that. But, you know, it could have been a legitimate, yeah, I thought it was going out and I called it a, you know, called it early and not a blatant hook. You know, you're, no one's ever going to know, right? But that happens all the time. And everybody's done that where they think the ball is going out, so they call it out and they realize after the fact, yeah, that probably wasn't out. But you're not – most at that point, unless you're a hundred percent sure, you're not going back and giving it up either. He didn't even use his body to cover the line judge's perspective. He literally just was like, "I this ball is out." <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're hooking, there's a playbook to go by, and he did none of the things you do when you're hooking someone. <laughs> uh, but so we can leave that tangent there. Uh, last final thoughts quickly on the Big Ten. Uh, Ohio State, we've mentioned lock for a top eight seed. I don't think Illinois is going to be able to get there. But uh, first to you, Chris, and then to you, Quentin. Uh, do you like their chances maybe to make an Elite Eight this year? You know, they, they came in, they were so frisky at the beginning of the year, and then they've kind of fallen off a little bit since then. Just no real breakthrough wins. No, yeah, and, and for that reason, no, I don't I don't really like their chances of, of making a Final Eight. I mean, they, they, they can 
they can host and hold uh, and hold and get to the get to that round of 16 and go on the road and then you know then it's a, a crapshoot maybe in terms of who they get but it, in most cases i don't like their matchups uh or their chances of of getting there it's going to be it's going to be tough for them and obviously they're they, they are a good indoor team uh and, and then playing outdoors makes it even you know just a little bit tougher as well yeah and Bonus thought, we don't have to cover this, but it's my Michigan Wolverines, my conference. They're coming to Ann Arbor for the conference tournament. I will be there. Cracked Rackets will be providing live coverage of whatever matches I can wake up in time for. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. I was at the Michigan... <laughs> How dare you? Uh, don't make me remind you of what we did to you guys last year. Uh, but I and I should say it's you know those were great matches and, and Coach Satchery big fan of his he's a cracked rackets uh, interviewee um, but Michigan was on the precipice of beating Illinois and had a couple you know a couple points gone their way they could have at home a couple weeks ago you can give a one word answer if you want Chris but if Michigan goes beats uh, I think they'd have to play. Oh, man, they might get the four seed. If they get the four seed and play Ohio State, they're probably in trouble. But if Michigan is able to make the conference final, uh, do you think there's any chance they can be a top 16 seed, Chris? Uh, I can't give a one-word answer to that. There's a chance, <laughs> but it's still— A lot of other things have, have to happen. still unlikely. Without beating Ohio State, yeah, just a win over Illinois still makes it really tough. I mean, Columbia sitting at 16 right now is still— and they've got three matches that'll give them countable uh, points to go there. It's going to be tough to get around them. It, it would probably take a win over Ohio state, but you know, there's a couple more runs too. It'll be close, but I doubt without beating Ohio state that they can get there. Well, it's perfect that you mentioned Columbia because that's the next conference I want to do. And I, you know, we don't have to share a ton of thoughts, but you know, Quinn, given that you coached at Columbia, Chris, given that you're a know-it-all, I want to hit on this conference because I feel like it is really the sixth best conference in, and I like that you didn't even respond to my know-it-all thing, Chris. That's very mature of you. Um, <laughs> that's uh, very geriatric of you, I think is the word we'll go with. No, I thought you were, so we're moving from geriatric to omniscient now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, listeners. It's ten thirty-seven. We gotta have a little fun. Um, but so talking about this Ivy League, I, I saw a thread going on, and I think it was between you and at Texas College Tennis Chris, where he brought up the point of Columbia, which is fourteen and three on the year, have had a tremendous season. We got to see them play at the indoors, and you know the eye test take with it what you will but they were on the level they were as good as all but maybe ohio state and wake forest that weekend seriously they're just the depth they had in singles the the strength they had in doubles they could compete with anyone and i'm not trying to suck up to you quentin but i do want to ask you chris given that they don't have a conference tournament given that there's not another top 20 team in the ivy league is that really going to hurt their chances at being a top eight seed oh there's no chance they can be a top eight that, I mean, that's but out of the question. I think they deserve it. Uh, there's, I, well, you might think they deserve it. <laughs> there's, there's no chance of that happening. Uh, last Ivy League question to you, Chris. How many teams from this conference do you see potentially making the NCAAs? I, I think we see three. I think Harvard's on the bubble. Uh, I mean, they're in, but they're close. Dartmouth is in. Uh, and that's better and, by the way Fligner just on auto tuned you yeah sorry <laughs> Fligner so so dart your dart with the guys I think will be in uh but um uh and, and they're 
they're really right there with Harvard, but they're sitting right in front of them. So that, that, uh, you know, I don't know if those two schools play each other or not, but, uh, but I think, I think we probably still end up seeing the, the three of them in. Yeah. I, I, that's perfect. Well, then we can leave that there. Uh, let's move on to our next conference, a fascinating conference because you forget, uh, maybe it's the time zone difference and I forget, but if you look at the rankings, we haven't seen these te- any of these conference uh, placed or this conference placed teams in the top five. That, of course, is the Pac-12 conference, uh, a conference Chris and I have talked about a bunch this year. And before we talk about it now, West Up, if you could, start the clock, please. So since we last talked, Chris, Obviously, UCLA and USC played a match for the ages. Uh, It was something that I believe it was a 4-3 decision, came down to uh, Bryce Pereira, Pereira, right? Uh, And he ended up clinching for UCLA, so they got the win there. But you look at the things USC's done since the indoors. They're the one team that's gone and beaten Texas. Uh, Obviously, that's tremendously impressive. Their team, they finally put Logan Smith in the lineup. They seem to finally be figuring out, okay, maybe we should play him. Maybe Logan's the Smith, not necessarily Tanner or Riley. That should be popping in the singles lineup. Uh, I guess my question to you is, given the topsy-turvy seasons we've seen from USC, UCLA, Stanford, should we expect any of these teams to be top eight seeds? Well, I think the old, the only one at this point with with a truly legit shot is USC. Um, so if US, I mean, if, it's hard to say if somebody else ran the table all the way through the Pac-12. I mean, you got to figure either UCLA, Stanford, or USC win, wins the tournament, and and if it's Stanford or UCLA, do they make it all the way up to the top eight? Man, that's a big, big jump in front of them right now. It's like 10 points. Uh, so it would be tough if it's Southern Cal, that's a lot more likely. Uh, but I, I think right now that it looks like they're all, it, it looks like all three of them are going to be in the, you know, they're going to be in the, the nine to 16 range, having to have getting to host the first two and then having to go on the road. But wouldn't you say, I mean, okay, so this is one of my stupid theories, but we've kind of thrown it around, and Chris, I see you smirking, saying, which stupid theory is this? But one of my stupid theories, when you have, you know, too many players is worse, actually, than when you don't have enough. And for USC, you know, they're nine guys deep. There are so many different things they can do, five, six, on any given day. The only thing you know for sure, Holt's going to play one, Koikerman's going to play two, and then the rest they're going to play with. At a certain point in the year, and I know we kind of talked about this earlier, doesn't that become a problem? My sophomore year, I think this was the year in Waco, the year you made the semifinals, Quentin, there was only one lineup change that actually was sweet, and it was Alex Richard went into the uh, Virginia lineup, and obviously that changed things for them. But that being the unique exception, I completely agree with your point there. There is something to have that that continuity, to you know, getting that monkey off of guys back, knowing if they're going to play or not. And from the UTR perspective, from the data uh, you've accumulated, Chris, so far, what do you think that singles lineup looks like for USC when they're, you know, they're most optimal? I, well, I, I think what we're going to see is probably – similar to what they played at UCLA, right? The last two matches, I don't put a lot of stock in, in the lineup. They played an Oregon team without Laurent, right? They played Utah. They, they didn't have to play their, their lineup there. I, I think we'll end up seeing, I mean, uh, Verboven uh, playing three, uh, Riley Smith four, Logan Smith five, and probably Bullis six. That's, that's my guess as to what we'll see for their lineup. No Jade? I don't. No, I, I, I don't think 
I don't think yeah, we're gonna tough. we're gonna see him. Yeah, well then the other teams, I mean, you know, uh, Arizona State got frisky at the end of the year, but really the three teams in the Pac-12, USC, UCLA, and Stanford, the ones that have a chance to make some noise come May. Uh, you look at this UCLA team, Cressy at one, has been having a, a very solid year. Keegan Smith, healthy at two. It's it's funny, I, I was having this conversation with my little brother. We were at a family dinner, and of course, we wanted to not talk to our family, so we started talking college tennis. And I was like, well, you know, Keegan Smith, he might be the most talented two singles player in the country. And then I thought, well, what about Petros? What about uh, Brandon Nakashima? You go on and on and on, McNally, and it's just like, yeah, like, Keegan Smith's still really good. UCLA just, this is a hot take. I'm quite fond of Max Cressy. He cracked interviews, guys. Go check that out. We got to talk to him right after he won in Cleveland, which was pretty cool. But I agree with you. In person, if you would have said, oh, who do you think is the better player in, say, five years? I'd say Keegan Smith. That guy hits the ball differently than anyone else I'm watching here. And, yeah, I, I think it's a testament. You cannot count them out. Govin Nanda won a transition to her event before the season started. Has been incredibly strong at three. You know, they, they're going to compete for those top three flights, and it's just the the reason we talked about this last week. It's hard for them to find that fourth point. Uh, but they're a fascinating team. Chris, the uh, clock is about to run out. So uh, you mentioned that we mentioned these three teams. Who are the other teams you could see from this conference making the NCAA tournament? Well, Arizona State to be in. U- Utah is a really? bubble team. Or, yeah, Utah and Oregon are both bubble teams. Uh, no, uh, sorry. Arizona State, 13-10. and 10. They beat my Wolverines without Fenty, without Maloney. I don't know. They suffered so many close losses at the beginning of the year, I guess. It's just like their they're like record. Top 25. They'll be top 25 now. Yeah, that's good. It's just like if, if Columbia played their schedule, they're a top 10 team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all about the schedule, right? Yeah. yeah. It's just so so Arizona, Arizona State, along with those three, and then you've got uh, you've got Utah and Oregon on the bubble. I don't know what what's up with Laurent at Oregon. He's not playing. If he doesn't play, they can't win. Uh, and and Utah Utah got themselves back in the conversation with that huge win against Stanford, uh, and so now they're sitting right there with needing a one good win in the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, and speaking of that Pac-12 tournament, your winner is? Wow, I, I mean, I, I'm going to have to take SC just because if I took UCLA, you'd be forced to take Stanford, and that would, <laughs> you know... <laughs> So, you know what's hilarious is I literally was thinking in my head, God, I hope he doesn't take UCLA. Otherwise, I'm going to have to say Stanford. Yeah, and I wouldn't do that to you. So I'll take SC so you can, you can make your case for UCLA. <laughs> it just shows we've done this too often. Uh, that's so funny. Uh, I'm a, all about redemption. I would really love to see SC you know, come out firing. Quinn, have you ever played at the Ojai? Yeah, it looks it looks gorgeous, and our very own Max Rothman should be on site covering that event later this week. So be on the lookout for that. It's a that was a subtle plug, not my best work, but still. Um, do I want to make the case for UCLA? Yeah, you know what? Ben Goldberg came up to me at at National Indoors. He said, "Alex, I listened to your pod yesterday. I appreciate that. I will take the Bruins. They beat them once. Why not beat them again?" Um, but let's move on to our last conference, Chris. We finally get to your home conference. 
I mean, there's just been some crazy tennis going on. You look at it this week, Kentucky, who had just not had any good win, knocks off Georgia. I mean, Florida's cruising. Your Mississippi State, my Mississippi State, our Mississippi State Bulldogs get a big win over Texas A&M to lock up their second-place seed in the conference tournament and, you know, really help themselves uh, get into top-eight seed position. Before we start, West off, if you could, cue the final clock, please. So, Chris, let's start with that three teams up top. Florida, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, all still currently in inten- in contention for a top eight seed? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, for, A&M's going to have to the, – the problem's going to be in all likelihood – they're all in contention, but only two – I mean, Florida's a lock, and only – in all likelihood, only Mississippi State or Texas A&M can make it, and it, and it would be – the one that won, assuming that they both win their first match in the SEC tournament, whoever wins uh, when they play again head-to-head would have the shot to make it. The loss would, in all likelihood, knock the other one out. If it's A&M, they're out for sure. If they beat Mississippi State, it's unlikely that they still hang on to a top-eight spot. Uh, uh, the, the other thing they've got working against them that you don't see when just looking at the rankings is – the one of the criteria that the, the committee will take into account after going looking at the rankings is they usually take a pass through and look for head-to-head matchups and in the cases where head-to-head matchups are, exist and the lower ranked team won they'll make a swap mississippi state lost to both baylor and tcu this year who they're sitting in front of uh so there could be swaps there but there's more to it than that i mean they've got better strength of schedule better top 50 numbers so maybe they wouldn't but it, you know it's questionable but i i still say you're you're gonna get i think you'll get two because whoever wins that match between the two of them assuming they both get there will finish top eight and and the other one likely won't and you're kind of looking back a&m has had some sneaky good non-conference wins that ohio state win obviously huge for their resume um i, I always seem to forget they're an sec team but yeah they're gonna have a chance to accumulate a bunch of good wins because tennessee you know lsu ole miss south carolina all these teams in the sec seem to rank you know georgia right now at 12 and 9 uh it feels like a win over them would still be pretty valuable. But the team I want to talk about, the team I uh, we've been in love with all season, but we have really seen them hit their stride since the national indoors. These Florida Gators, I mean, one through six, maybe one through eight even, as much talent, if not more, than any team in the country. I've gotten to see them play outdoors now. I understand how tall of a task it would be to beat any of those players uh, in the three-set battle. I'm willing to declare them my current favorites for the May title. Quentin, do you at all feel the same way? <laughs> I 1,000% feel the same way. I, I hate to introduce another bias uh, into this podcast, but... My little brother is uh, currently a sophomore there, um, and he uh, you know, played tennis in, in high school and doesn't play this The crazy uh, thing is it's Alfredo Perez at five, matches. maybe? I follow them closely. I no, follow them no the, the crazy... I think you said it back in one through six. Well, that is, and that is what they've submitted for the SEC tournament, but the crazier thing is that is the... That is, it's Alfredo at five, but that is the weak spot in the lineup as well. <laughs> So, like it or not, you have to beat Oliver Cross by one, you have to beat Alfredo at five, you have to beat them in doubles, and then you still have to find another one. It's, no, it's so hard. 
I mean, so this is a stupid question, but Quentin, prime you. Do you crack that lineup? So I want to hear this from your perspective first, Chris, and then I, I want to take the question to you as well, Quentin. We mentioned Alfredo Perez there, the fact that he's playing you know, five singles, crazy, but UTR-wise, result-wise, from what you've seen so far, Chris, do you think it's—I don't want to say wrong— I don't want to phrase this poorly because Brian Shelton has so much talent to work with and whatever. It's kind of like that Bolin team that won their first national title where he would switch Ryan Shane, Justin Shane, Julian Yerguin, Max Steislinger, and kind of play with the bottom of the lineup. Now Shelton can do that with Greif, with Perez, with Vale, with Kessler. But from all of the results we've accumulated, all of the statistics we've seen, Chris, what is the singles lineup you would put out if you're Coach Shelton? And then same question to you uh, after Quinton. So if it's me, I don't even play Alfredo. Um, so I, I like what they had going before where they were playing uh, Greif at five. And I've never been a volley fan, uh, but he's, he actually has started playing really well. At the Could end of not the year agree here. more. Could not agree uh, more. And he's come on so strong that I don't know how you don't play him. So I think you have to play him uh, at at six. So so I probably I would probably be seeing like, Greif and Vale if, if it was me but I'll tell you the one thing there's there is absolutely no stacking going on anybody that knows coach Shelton knows that he is he is just straight up whoever's playing the best is who he's playing and he's not he's not trying to create a stack he's not doing any of that and and let me I need 20 seconds to go back here because after our after our last pod Gruskin <laughs> the the morning it was released I made the statement on that pod that hey let's freeze frame at one point in that AM match they were down they were up 3-1 but down a break on all three of the remaining courts immediately i get the text in the morning from my uh from my buddy there uh and uh he says hey we weren't down a break on all three courts and i said <laughs> god damn it you're right Greif was down 1540 serving and i was giving him the break and he didn't get and he came back to hold so so I have I have to recant that statement because yeah I know Tanner you'll be listening to this one so <laughs> so there you go now uh, but yeah I I think for me it's it's that but I again like we said five six they can I mean the, the top four set and five six between whether they play Greif Perez Vale Kessler uh, it it doesn't even seem to matter at this point in my religion we would say Diane uh, and you know. Uh, Chris, you put it perfectly, that the recipe to beat Florida involves beating Crawford at one. Like, that's a must-have. That's crazy. It just Because you're not beating Inglitson. You're probably not beating Griffiths anymore. Andrade can have some bad days, but uh, good luck finding four points against them. Uh, we're about to run out of time, so Chris, real quick, give me the rundown. How many of these teams should we expect to see in the tournament? Oh, holy cow, I'd have to do a count, but you've got you've got Florida for sure. Mississippi I guess State who who sure. is not going to make it? 
who's not going to make it. Well, Auburn's not going to make it. Arkansas is <laughs> not going to make it. Uh, you're making me think beyond that. Uh, LSU's like right on the bubble, and they're the 11th seed. It's so, crazy. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's possible that 11, 11 teams uh, possibly get in. 11 SEC teams, and we can't find Columbia a top 10 seed. Come on, Slam Tennis. Come on, Chris. You guys got the rankings right. Find some way to adjust it. Be, <laughs> find a, play for the Ivy. Give me an Ivy League factorial. In fact, they're probably smart enough to fix your algorithm. So send it to them, and they'll fix it for you, and it's perfect. Um, but all right, well then, look at the conference tournament. I love this A&M team. We could have talked about them. They've really come into form. Mississippi State, we talked about their doubles point all all year long. They've continued to show prowess, and they've They've won 31 of 33. It might be 32 of 34 at this point, uh, but they're so solid there. Nuno doesn't lose. Uh, you know, everyone's starting to round into form, get healthy. So you could make a case for both of those teams. But Quinn, start with you then, Chris. I'm assuming you're going with Florida for the conference title. Chris? Oh, I mean, come on. Where am I going to go? I'm, I'm taking the Bulldogs. <laughs> Good. Well, I was worried for a second after all that love to Tanner that I'm, you might want to make it up to him. I'm, I'm not driving all the way down there just to come <laughs> home on Saturday or, or Sunday with a loss. Come on. Uh, no. And it's in we, Gainesville, right? Yeah, that, that, that's the downside, right? It's in Gainesville. Yeah. But, uh, but the, yeah, I mean, we, played them t- we, we played them tough there uh, the first time around. So hopefully, I mean, it's going to be – there's no easy matches there. We get, we get either Kentucky or Vandy the first day, and then you get A&M the second day. And if you can win both of those, then you get Florida. But I'd love to get back and, and get another shot at Florida uh, and, and try again. And I swear there was a tangent for us talking about that senior day at Mississippi State and how special that was. But given how late we've gone on this pod, Quinn's like, I didn't know I was signing up for an hour and a half. Uh, so, Chris, I promise we will get to that story as the season wraps up because that is such a special group they have down there at Mississippi State. Yeah, the the fact I'm going to turn to Florida ten and zero at home. I don't see that changing now. That the tournament's in Gainesville. I think it's going to be the perfect thing to propel Florida to this conference title. And then at that point, you, what they'll have won seventeen matches in a row. You really want to gamble on anyone else to win this NCAA tournament. Uh, good luck with that. But all right, the, those are all of the conferences. Chris, uh, any any final thoughts on that NCAA field before we do our last few things? No, I think it's going to be interesting just seeing how the how this battle for the top eight and the battle for 16 plays out with, you know, Columbia really being the one on the hot seat for the 16 spot. And then several teams being in there for the top eight. Uh, and then it'll just be, it'll be the big bubble watch after that to see, uh, see what it looks, what it looks like for who's, who's trying to get in and who who's not. No, I completely agree with you. Quinn, any final thoughts there? Yeah, perfect. I like it. Well, then let's move on to our final two things. A couple of interesting tweets uh, about some college tennis statistics I want to run by you guys. Let's start with the social media interactions at Skull Sparks uh, came out and they actually did. Uh, they monitored the NCAA men's and women's team uh, Twitter accounts generating the most interactions in 2018. Interesting that they have it for 2018 and it will look forward to those 2019 stats coming out. But the big headlines from this are Mississippi State Bulldogs number one one for the men's side, 42,000. I feel like half of that is just generated by you, Chris, and it's a testament to your work. So as we say, hey, great shot to you. 
Georgia number two, 25, Illinois, Tennessee, three and four at 24. I think it speaks to say that Georgia, Illinois fans are crazy. So I believe that, uh, Wake Forest, number five, also nuts. Ohio state six, Alabama seven makes no sense. Uh, Florida eight, and I'm nine, Texas, number 10, but it gets really close. I think Michigan being at number 12 is a testament to my work. So, Hey, great shot to me. Uh, I guess really where I want to take this and loop you guys in, uh, first to you, Quentin, I know Twitter, I mean, in 2016, it was still a thing, but it may be not to the scale that it is now. Chris, uh, what do you think of the teams generating accounts? Do you think it's been, I mean, I think it's unarguable that it's been a net benefit to college tennis as a product in general, but uh, do you think this trend we see of teams trying to be more, uh, I guess, more uh, active on social media will continue? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think what I would love to see is I'd love to see them go back and kind of show those numbers, not even necessarily at the school by school level, but I'd like to see the trend, say, for three or four years, right, is, is in general, is that number getting bigger, you know, on the whole? Are we getting more and more interaction about college tennis on Twitter? And I, I, I got to believe we are, uh, especially with, uh, you know, probably three or four years ago, it was really just Bobby and 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 now there's there's multiple other people out there doing it and and we we all work together uh and everybody's trying to help everybody else generate uh just generate buzz about the game and i think it there's nothing nothing bad can come from that so i I think it's good I think the Mississippi State number at 42 really speaks to their effort and all they've done. But you look at some of the other numbers, and keeping in mind it's from 2018, and I'm not trying to slander programs. I just want to add some context. Georgia at 25K number two. They had their drug scandal last year with their assistant coach. You have to factor that in. Wake Forest, North Carolina being up on the list. They had the Borna Gojo hooking incident, and obviously that took big notice. You look at Ohio State, Texas A&M, six and nine. Well, who could forget about Spitgate last year between between Wolf and Kipson. I, I just feel like those little events definitely factored into these numbers, and it's important to keep in mind. Also, Virginia at number 19, uh, kind of an- antithetical to what I've seen. I think that was a testament to them having a down year last year. But yeah, these numbers are encouraging. You know, everyone in the top uh, 25 getting over 5,000 interactions is cool. It speaks to the state of our game that it's growing, that its, its presence seems to be solidifying itself in uh, tennis Twitter. But yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Quinn, you you said it really well. Um, to appeal to this younger generation of fans, I think the clips of college tennis, a doubles point, you know, when the teams are roaring, a, a close call, all of these things are, you know, they're so captivating. And I would love to see the McNally numbers, how many people have watched that guy's video, because it's the little things like that, that even though sometimes it's not the best look for our sport, it certainly gathers attention. So these are just uh, cool numbers to see in context. One other set of cool numbers I saw, and I'm sorry we didn't get into the women's teams, but they had those as well. So go check that out. Uh, I mentioned the tweets earlier, but uh, Corey Brooks at ITA underscore DOC uh, came out with the Division One men's and women's match length data for the 2019 ITA kickoff weekend. Uh, you look at the women's matches, the doubles clinch usually happened around the 43-minute mark, singles clinch an hour 49 minutes, average dual match length 2 hours 38 minutes. You look at the men's, it would be 41 minutes for doubles, hour 42 for singles, 229 average for the men. So we kind of see a stabilizing, you know, the nine minute gap speaks to the product now. It's pretty consistent. No ad scoring. You know what you're going to get. 
Chris, we've litigated the ad versus no ad before, but looking at these numbers, do you think that was an accurate assessment by me? These numbers kind of show uh, the matches have shortened. The the match time has kind of stayed in that two-and-a-half-hour range, which is about where the ITA was uh, kicking off. Or do you think that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think, oh, I think that's a fair assessment. And, uh, I mean, again, do you think it's affected the product in any ways negatively or positively, like profoundly? I, I guess being a shorter match. Sorry, that was that was a random question. Let me rephrase that one for you, Westoff. If I could, uh, give me a rewind sound effect, please. So let's try that again, Chris. My, what I'm really trying to ask you here, uh, you look at the shortening of matches. Do you think this trend is going to hold? Yeah, well, I don't. Yeah, I mean, the, with the scoring format, I don't see how how it, the matches are going to get any any longer because of that. Um, I I think it's it's. I'm not the one that wants necessarily wants the shorter matches, but what I like, and and we've talked about it before, I love the no ad format just because of the excitement that it brings and it inherently shortens the length of the match, right? You don't, I mean, just because you don't play deuce points, but but it makes it so much more uh, exciting, especially at the college level when you have such fan engagement and it gives them the opportunity to get even more into it on all the deuce points. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's great for the, great for the sport. Perfect. Well, then let's do one final thing before we wrap up, as I promised. And I know we're getting late, but I can't let you guys go without getting your opinions. Quentin, it is your first time on the show, so you're going to get to go first. Chris and I always end by naming our top five teams in the country. Uh, Let me hear your list. Texas. No, it gets yeah. tough here. I'm gonna go <laughs> Texas. Uh, wow, throwing in the Cavaliers, no bad blood. I like it. Uh, we also see that ACC bias, of course. Chris, these rankings get harder and harder to do every week, and it's so funny. We talked about how you know by April you can usually narrow it down to okay here are my five title contending teams well I swear to god there are still 11 or 12 you can make a case for and I don't even need to be drunk to believe them give me your top five heading into the conference tournament season yeah I'm, I'm still I'm gonna I'm gonna stay where I was uh even though I'll, I'll admit that I, I like Q's order better but I'm, I'm sticking with my philosophy that you gotta knock the, knock the top dog down before he before he's not the top dog anymore so I'll leave Ohio State one, Florida, Florida two, Wake three, Texas four, Virginia five. You guys love Virginia after hating on them. Oh, I think UNC is going to beat them in the conference tournament. And then you throw them number five, Jacques. Uh, but doesn't doesn't it just get more fun then to, <laughs> to, to, to to rejoice when they lose and you ha- and they're a top five team? <laughs> Honestly, it was an. I'm, I'm not going to hold you to anything you said an hour ago because that was. It seems like two days ago. Um, I love your philosophy, and we hated on John McNally. So he's just gotten so much criticism this week. Maybe this will help him. Ohio State number one for me as well. Just JJ Wolf's the best player in the country. I watched him play that Kofa Savage match against Illinois, and. Kofa Savage can hit that just cover off of the ball. It didn't matter because JJ hit it that much harder. He's just quads of steel. Put them at number one. Um, Florida number two. I made that case earlier. Texas's friend Wake Forest number three. Texas number four. 
I made my whole case about TCU, but I'm going to go USC number five. I know they lost to UCLA, but they don't know what their lineup is yet, and they just have so much talent. They're one of the, you know, they knocked off Texas early in the year. By proxy, I'm going to have them at number five, and as we mentioned, there is a ton of uh, more tennis to see. We will certainly know how these teams stack up after we see them go through their conference tournament play, but... I was talking to our very own Matt Stachowiak, uh, his brother Nick, playing at Duke, and I said, Matt, I love you, but your brother's the superstar. We have the chance to get Quentin Monahan on. I'm sorry, i got to kick you out of the trio. Uh, Chris, a, 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 give me the plug for – oh, sorry, Quentin, any, any other thoughts off that? No, <laughs> Yeah, no, sorry, I just didn't want to cut you off, although I suppose you're used to that by now. Chris, any uh, plug your stuff for us one more time, please, because seriously, the work you're doing at collegetennisranks.com, second to none. So, yeah, collegetennisranks.com, everything that you talked about earlier is up there, what's up there as of today that uh, you may or may not have seen. So the, the what-if calculator now has the con- – on the men's side, I'll try to get the women's up tomorrow. It's got all the conference tournaments ma- the, that are going on this week prior to the next ranking period, and the matches will show up as you know as they're known. So if you've got feed-in matches prior to getting to one, obviously I can't put it up there because I don't know who's going to win to get there. But uh, But they'll show up, and you can just – you know, you go and click who you think's going to win, hit the button, and it'll show you the new rankings that'll, that'll come out based off of the based off of that. So, uh, so yeah, go hit the site. Uh, love seeing all the traffic. Uh, obviously, it's there's you know it's it's all free, no accounts, no no anything. And and, and second is for for Q. So uh, he he may be glad to be here, but next time Q, when you come on, you have to come prepared with with slants on Gruskin. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, if it's uh, whatever you want to do, you got to come. You gotta come with some. You gotta come with something. Okay. It shows we've been on the show for too long. Uh, look, I want to give uh, two more sh- two more shout outs real quick. Always got to give a shout out to our super producers Max Lingner and Daniel Westoff, who really do have a f- of an editing job to do on this one. You know, we went an hour and a half, but it's a testament to how cool the college tennis season is getting. My final shout out, and it, it pains me to say, but as a former club tennis player, uh, the Club Tennis Nationals was this past weekend. It's an event that's near and dear to my heart. As you know, Chris, Max Rothman, who I do the Great Shot podcast usually with, and I, national champions together in 2017, solidifying our friendship plus more forever. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Malik DeFritas, formerly of Northwestern, now at UCLA Dental School, joins their team despite being a grad student and helps carry that UCLA team to the national title. It feels like it counts for me because Malik and I, same grade, we played together club all four years. So cool to see him have that sort of success. And to any college kid who isn't a Quentin Monahan, but is more of the Alex Gruskin type, who, you know, we're not making NCAA semifinals, but we still want tennis in our life. Pursue the club tennis path. It's so much fun. It's a great way to continue to get your tennis fix. And Club Tennis Nationals is still super sweet. You know, I got to play in Orlando. That's obviously the site of this year's NCAAs. I promise you, despite the lesser level, the thrill was equally exciting. So shout out to that UCLA team. But enough tennis talk for tonight. Quinn, you got to go to bed. Chris, I don't even know what you do at night. I feel like you hang upside down over your rankings like a tennis vampire (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Um, But one last time for my wonderful co-hosts, Chris Halioris and Quentin Monahan, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, and for our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Quentin, it's new, so I'm not sure you know what to do here, but follow Chris's lead. You know what we tell our listeners. Hey, great shot. (laughs) I love it, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. 